am a follower of Jesus Christ and I struggle with selfishness, fear, and pride, but fear is not my future, you are. My name's Julie. So I'm gonna uh, teach the ready lesson. I'm excited to teach this lesson and I wanna start off by telling you a little story about me. So when I was a little girl, I loved roller coasters. It didn't matter what it was, the faster, the better, the higher, the better, the back, backwards ones, the flip upside down ones, the curly Q ones. If it was like went going backwards, it was even great. If it stood up and you went, I mean, it was whatever roller coaster there was, the faster, the scarier, the better. So that was me. And when my boys were about uh, five and seven years old, we got season passes for the first time to Silver Dollar City, which is an amusement park in Branson, Missouri, about three and a half hours from here. So you can go for the weekend. And I was excited to take them and share my love of roller coasters with them. And so it was our first time to go and I was excited and we took them in and I was just gonna plow on through to the very first roller coaster that was at the park. So I didn't really know much about the park. We walked in and here's one right here by the front door. So we're just gonna go get in line for this. So we get in line for this roller coaster and I'm excited, I'm telling them how fun it is. And then we get to the part where you have to measure your kids to make sure they're tall enough to go. And our youngest was barely tall enough, but he could go. And I thought, oh, this is, this is gonna be a good one. He's, you know, tall. And so then we're waiting in line and then it gets to this part in the line where there's this color coded thing that tells you about the different roller coasters in the park. And they have green ones and blue ones and black ones. And then right next to it was the sign of this one. And there's this big black diamond right on the sign. So I'm looking at that going, oh my gosh, I think we're in one of the more intense roller coasters and my five-year-old is with us. And, but hey, we're like halfway through the line. So we're just gonna power through and plug on. And the name of this roller coaster was the powder keg. If you, maybe you've written it and it, it is what it sounds like. It's like this explosion. It's one of those electric ones that it's like zero to 100 in a heartbeat and you just bam, and it's just shoots you out like a gun. And so we get on and that's what happens. It shoots us out like that and it is so fast. It literally takes my breath away. I mean, it was, it's so fast, which I loved. Uh, but my five-year-old is sitting next to me and cannot breathe. And as soon as he can breathe, he says, I wanna get off, I wanna get off, I wanna get off, I wanna get off, I wanna get off. And so he does that the entire ride, screaming at that. And so when we get to the end of the ride, uh, he's like, you know, and so uh, I'm, I'm putting on my mom, like, oh my gosh, how are we gonna do this? And my kids are completely traumatized by this. And so we get off and I'm like, okay, we are about to have a major meltdown right here in the thing. So I get all mom and I said, wasn't that great guys? You did such a good job, I'm so proud of you. Like this high fives that no one's returning. And they're just, you know, and they're looking at me like, and my youngest, he looks at me and he says, I am never doing that again. So uh, <laughs> this actually, the story reminds me of some of the language in our principle five verse and also step six. And it says, happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. And step six says we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. So the words I'm gonna park on are greatest desire and entirely ready. 
Because after I took my kids on this scary roller coaster, their greatest desire every time we went to the amusement park from then on was to never do that again. And they were entirely ready to avoid all of our attempts to persuade them otherwise from then on. If we happened to convince them to get in line for like the baby roller coaster, like the green one, let's just get in line, see, it's really simple. Uh, inevitably, we would get to the front of the line where they were ready to get on and they would just nope, and they would chicken out and head out to the exit and we, they would wait for us there because they couldn't do it. But when they got a little older, we started inviting their friends to come along with us on, their, on our passes and um, when their friend is with us, their greatest desire changes a little bit from fear-based to fitting in with my friend. And so that fitting in, their greatest desire changed to that, and it helped them to push past their fears of roller coasters. So all of this leads me to our main takeaway for tonight. Our greatest desires drive our decisions. Our greatest desires drive our decisions, and we are always ready to serve what our greatest desire is in any moment. So I'm going to ask you then, what is, do you desire? What things do you desire? Because our desires change. Maybe you are a child of an addict, and your greatest desire when you were young was to never be like them. But then as you aged and your hurts started getting big, your desires changed to want to comfort yourself and numb yourself, sending you right into the exact same behavior you swore you would never do. Maybe rehab is in your history. People go to rehab because their greatest desires change, right? Counseling. I go to counseling when my desire to save my marriage or to be healed from this pain is greater than my desire to continue as is. So who came to recovery because their greatest desire in the moment was to help someone else in your life? Was that you? I'm in that category. My greatest desire can vary moment by moment. Maybe yours, depending on the moment, is protecting yourself, to be seen, to tell that person off, to achieve more, to feel in control, to have everything just so, to comfort yourself, or to be right. Sometimes I am afraid of what other people think of me or say about me to others. And when something triggered that fear in my past, my greatest desire was to become a fake, overly sweet version of myself so I would not uh, be the topic of anyone's conversation. And I sometimes still get afraid of that, but my greatest desire is different now. So instead of wanting to prevent that fear, it is to chase successful recovery. That's my desire in the midst of my fear. So my choices are different now than they used to be. Our greatest desires drive our decisions. And when I'm triggered, but my greatest desire in the moment is successful recovery, then I'm ready for what God will ask me to do in that trigger. 
So I'm going to give you an example from a story in the Bible of a man named Nehemiah. He is an example for us of of our greatest desires and triggers. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. Uh, Before he was born, uh, God had allowed Israel and their capital, Jerusalem, to be burned to the ground because they had abandoned him. And at that time, most of the Jews were killed in that process. Only a small number of them survived it, and they were taken captive. About 140 years later is when Nehemiah comes on the scene. By then, some Jews had returned to the land, and they were living there and farming there. Uh, But the remnants of the stones around the city that kept the city strong were burned and charred and were littering the ground all around the capital of Jerusalem. It was a constant reminder of their vulnerability and their smallness. Nehemiah was a Jew. And he lived at this time about 1,400 miles away. And that's like the distance between here and New York. And God called him to leave his posh job working for the king of Persia to come and help Jerusalem strengthen itself and rebuild its wall. And as Nehemiah traveled the distance from New York to Tulsa, he passed through provinces who had enjoyed the weakened state of their Jewish neighbors for decades. Once in Israel, Nehemiah told his testimony to them of God's calling on his life, and he convinced them to rebuild the wall under his leadership. So they got started with enthusiasm. Their neighbors, however, noticed. And they were incensed at this attempt, and they mocked them and intimidated them fiercely. But their greatest desire was to rebuild their city the land that God had given their ancestors. So the people kept working, kept working. When the wall was rebuilt about half of its height and the gaps were being closed, the neighbors were freaking out their enemies and they were escalating. They decided to get violent and ally themselves together to attack them. And they said, they won't even see us coming. The last time Israel was attacked, nearly everyone died. This is very frightening. So what do you do? I'm gonna pause here and ask you a question. What do you do when you are working your steps, showing up, doing your best, and the attacks come, like stress, triggers, loss, or new hurts? This is what they said in verse 10. The strength of the laborers is giving out. There is too much rubble. We can't do it. The tension caused by the constant possibility of harm created a lot of fatigue and discouragement. Do you experience this? The constant fear of a new hurt from that person or that situation? Their greatest desires were changing. I'm tired, I'm afraid, I'm overwhelmed and retreating sounds good right now. But Nehemiah prayed, as a good leader does, before the people lost all hope and God gave him instructions. He stationed guards at obvious weak points around the wall day and night in case they came to attack. He told the workers, keep building, keep building, wear your weapons. He even had the people who were carrying heavy loads to build the wall carry them in such a way that they carried them with one hand and held their weapon in the other hand. They didn't just wear it, they were holding it. 
They slept with their weapons on and in their protective clothing. They were ready at a moment's notice to defend themselves. They sacrificed the speed of their work for readiness. Have you made the mistake of sacrificing readiness for speed, trying to go faster in your recovery and it's just not working? thinking that you've already arrived and it backfires and the triggers come and I'm not prepared. The readiness that they had surprised their enemies and it actually caused them to get discouraged. So they never did actually attack. They changed uh, tactics though. Instead of attacking them, they decided to politically trap them. They threatened to tell the king of Persia that they were challenging his leadership with this wall. They sent spies into their ranks to gather intelligence and to report back. They sent double agents to pretend to give them great advice. And they sent Nehemiah threatening and intimidating letters. And Nehemiah journaled and he wrote down, they did these things to make me afraid. And it does not say that Nehemiah wasn't afraid, but Nehemiah was ready because his greatest desire never changed. What do you do when you're afraid or angry or hurt, when the hard stuff in your life doesn't go away but just changes to something different? What is it that you do? Whatever it is that you do do reveals your greatest desire in that moment. And God is bigger than that if you will let him be. God honored their perseverance though. They finished the wall in 52 days. Nehemiah said of the enemy, he said, they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. When God is at work in us, even our enemies notice. So this is what we learn. Obstacles can cause us to do one of two things. Work harder or give up. And it all depends on our readiness. If my greatest desire is to hurry up or avoid pain, I'm going to give up before my miracle happens. I'm gonna give up hope. I'm gonna give up on that relationship. I'm gonna quit connecting. I'm gonna try something easier. But if my greatest desire is to become the best, the best version of myself in God's eyes. My obstacles will have the opposite effect. I will call for reinforcements. I will sharpen my weapons. I will stay alert. This is what God requires if we want to get well and stay well. This looks like keep showing up, calling safe people, talking to God a lot, reading the word that tells me truth when my mind is telling me lies pouring my full energy into step study and surrendering to the guidance that I hear and avoiding my obvious weak areas. So how do I change my greatest desires, Julie, to align with what God wants for me? Our acrostic for the word ready is on your handout and I'm gonna cover three of them. I want you to see that. It has some great guidance for us. One of them says to release control. God has to do this for us. We have to invite him in. The more I talk to him about my desires in the moment, 
whatever it is, the more he changes them to something healthier. Easy does it. Willing to sacrifice speed for readiness, just like Israel. Nowhere in scripture does it describe Jesus ever running. Never. Jesus is never running. His best friend was dying and he was a day away and it took him three days to get there. Jesus takes his time and so should we. And yield to the new directions that I get moment by moment. This might look like apologizing right away or maybe not saying anything. Maybe it's to speak up right now. Maybe it's to make that hard phone call, yield to what God tells us to do. So that's the story of Nehemiah. I want to end my time with a story about myself, an example from my life. I am an introvert. Uh, Some people don't believe that, but it is true. I have to guard against what saps my emotional energy because I lose it easily and it builds back slowly. So throw in a family member with a health crisis that seems to have no end, uh, a rental house that burned down right before I left the country, and some painful ministry moments that are kind of sprinkled throughout there and there is no more margin for me. So for about six months now, I didn't realize this at the time, but I've unknowingly had a greatest desire in the moment to save my emotional energy. And for me, this played out like uh, delayed replying to text messages and emails. And sometimes I didn't reply at all unless I just, it was required that I needed to. It looked like procrastinating important things and hard conversations. And this affected my availability to my sponsees. It affected my work product at my paid job because I do have a part-time job. And it affected my family. And it was different than depression. It was just a protect my energy mantra that I was holding. Things I loved raised it and things that were hard lowered it. And so I hyper-focused on the things that I love and I procrastinated the rest. And when my anxiety rose, I took a nap. Not to dock nap because, hey, a nap can be holy. I'm just throwing that out there. I love a good nap. But um, I want to tell you that last month, we took a team to California to the Celebrate Recovery Summit. And I got so much encouragement and spiritual strengthening there. And at the very end of the week, they had a time of surrender. And as we were heading into that, uh, I was asking God, what would you like me to surrender? Because I have been working really hard on my character defects, on recognizing myself, on surrendering and yielding. Um, And I had a good handle on my old patterns and habits, and I wasn't really sure what was on the surface that I just needed to surrender, but I asked. And immediately, God reminded me of my introvert energy struggle that I had been doing. And he reminded me that I've been resting my way, which was TV, napping, and procrastinating. Those were my three things. And it wasn't really filling me up. My energy was not reviving. I was not available. So I asked God, what is your way? How should I do this differently? And I invited him into that spot. How should I rest his way? We also learned at Summit that 
spiritual growth and strong growth is only possible with a healthy structure around it. And I thought I was pretty good at structuring my life and structuring my day. But I hadn't really asked God into that, and I was kind of struggling with my energy. So I said, well, okay, so if I gave this to you, how would you structure my day? What time would you have me wake up? What time, would you, what time would, should I go to bed? How would you prioritize my things? And so I asked him in that seat at Summit how he would structure my day so that I could balance my ministry work and my paid work and my family work and have energy left over. And my greatest desire in that moment, in that chair, changed from protect my energy to surrender my energy. After that, I became entirely ready to let go of trying to manage it my way. I invited God into that detail, and I submitted to the changes he told me to immediately make. And I keep inviting him to manage it moment by moment. So now, when it's 10.05 at night, and Dave asks me if I want to watch one more episode of that Netflix show right before bed, and my heart smiles because yes, but God says, uh-uh, now I listen because my greatest desire at 10.05 is not about me. It is to do what God requires of me where he wants to take me the next day. My second desire might be Netflix, <laughs> but my greatest desire is him. So I, my focus now is on point. Now that I've given him those things, I am more efficient than ever, and I have enough left over to pour out excess to others. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to head down here as the band comes back up, and I'm going to invite you guys to a time of surrender as well. Our greatest desires drive our decisions. And all of us are entirely ready to serve whatever those desires are. Maybe at 6 a.m. your greatest desire is to sleep one more hour. What decisions have your greatest desires led to? Maybe it's something like always eating that nighttime snack or always making that extra purchase or sleeping late, staying up late, and you are entirely ready at any moment to do those. But none of these things help you with where God wants to take you. Maybe your greatest desire, depending on the moment, is something deeper. Maybe it's protective, driven by fear, achievement, craving, or comfort. Our decisions in any moment always align with our greatest desires in that moment. And if you want to be ready for real recovery, you must challenge what your greatest desire is each moment. The good news is a failure in behavior just reveals a wayward desire. It's okay. There's no shame. Thank you, Jesus, for showing me that. Now I can move forward. If God is bringing something to your mind right now, I encourage you to invite God to interrupt what your desires have always been. 
we offer these blue chips for you to take home and to remember what desires you are choosing to let go. And if something comes to your mind, I encourage you to please come up and take one as the band plays. Men take from men, women take from women, and the prayer altar is always open.